Amen. Let's go to Genesis chapter 21. <clears throat> Hope everybody had a good week. Man, it's been fantastic weather. Beautiful. Man, I'm so glad that, that Joseph shared that because really that's kind of the theme of the, of the chapter tonight really is the faithfulness and consistency of God despite our inconsistency, despite our unfaithfulness. <clears throat> and so I'm so, I'm so thankful he kind of highlighted that. If you remember where we're coming from, we're in Genesis 21. So in Genesis 20, man, that was kind of the low point for Abraham. If y'all were here last week, you remember over the last few weeks, things have kind of been looking up for Abraham, like things have been tracking upward a little bit. He's received this promise. Remember, he got those visitors over to his house, and it was the Lord and a couple of angels, and they ate a meal with him. And then you know, he receives this promise once again about the son that's going to come even in their old age. And then basically the angels are going to go down and check out Sodom and see if it really is as wicked as they've heard. And remember, Abraham gets to kind of stand in the gap and intercede for, um, for the people down there. And so Abraham's kind of, he's being consistent here. He's believing, he's interceding. And then the last chapter happens and it's kind of like, oh, what the heck? What are you doing? Because you remember, he trips over the same rock that he did earlier. You remember way back when, when they go into the land that Sarah was so beautiful that kings of other nations are saying, oh man, well, I got to marry her. Like she's so stunning and Abraham knows this. And, and so remember Abraham, he gives Sarah to the Pharaoh and that whole situation. Well, he does it again. Last week we, we heard that. And it's just, man, it's maybe the low point in Abraham's life. And, and when I read it, man, it kind of spun me out as I thought about it. Because I'm like, if Abraham can't be consistent at this point, I mean, he had the Lord himself in his tent. How, how can I be consistent? How can I have faith and be consistent if Abraham can't do it? And it's a low point for Abraham, but I think the key is what, what Joseph was saying is, the point here is not Abraham's consistency. It's Yahweh's consistency. It's the consistent promises of the Lord. So, men, in the last chapter, you see what should have been just judgment on Abraham turns out to just be grace on Abraham. Abraham is not punished for this whole situation. And, you know, even though he had planned this sin out, he justified it in his own mind, he repeated his sin, he's shown grace. He stumbled, and it's like God graciously caught him. He didn't destroy him. He didn't let natural consequences take their place. He showed grace to Abraham. He showed grace to the king Abimelech. In fact, God said, I kept you from sinning. That's huge. He showed grace to Abimelech's wives because they were able to have kids after this scenario. He showed grace to Abraham. Abraham exited this situation richer than he was before, which is crazy because he's totally in the wrong. He showed grace to Sarah because he spared her being sinned against. And she leaves there with like a free pass to go live wherever you want and all of this money. And maybe even she's able to see a preview of the miracle that's about to happen to her all these barren wombs that are all of a sudden made fruitful. All, all of man's inconsistency, we see God's consistent. And here he's just pouring out his grace and grace and grace. And I think that's what this chapter is about too. So we're gonna see the fulfillment of the promise finally in chapter 21. Let's jump right in. All right, chapter 21, there's kind of three episodes here, one that you probably know really well and two that you may not, uh, especially the third one. So we'll kind of move quickly through these three different episodes. So starting in verse one. 
the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore him, Isaac. That is a miracle. And the wording is so specific. But what's crazy to me is, this is on the heels of great defeat. On Abraham's lowest moment, here you see the fulfillment of the promise. And look, that's exactly what's emphasized in this passage. Three times God's promise is reiterated. As he had said, as he had promised, of which God had spoken to him, God keeps his promises always, always, always. Verse four, and Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Here's a crazy verse. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Just that verse alone. God keeps his promises. He knows that verse is ridiculous. That's why he put it in there. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah has said, God has made laughter for me. Everybody who hears will laugh over me. It meant, what a day these guys are having. You think about it. Sarah got pregnant at 90. 90. Still looking good, apparently. Still looking great. She's a hottie. You know, like old decrepit Abraham over there. His appearance is never mentioned. But he's a father at 100, which is crazy. So I asked my kids. I was like, oh, we're talking about this. I said, y'all know how crazy it is that they, I mean, Abraham's 100. I was like, who's the oldest person y'all know? And I'm not going to say who it was, but it's someone in this church right now. And, uh, <laughs> and so I started laughing, and I was like, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then they also mentioned uh, Amy's parents, and I was like, okay, yeah, so uh, let's go with them instead. Uh, and I was like, <laughs> and I was like, can you imagine if she got pregnant and they were like, oh my gosh. I was like, can you imagine her and be like, <laughs> and like sitting down like this, and they're dying laughing. I was like, that's what these guys are doing. They're dying laughing here. They're going, oh my gosh, we just had a kid. This is crazy. I mean, they had laughed. Remember, Abraham had laughed in shock, and Sarah had laughed in straight-up disbelief. This is just a belly laugh. They're looking at their saggy selves and being like, <laughs> this is crazy. And she says, everybody who hears will laugh over me. And she really, that means everybody who hears is going to laugh with me. Some commentators disagree, but, but uh, I, I think he's say, she's saying everybody who hears, they're going to laugh with us. Abraham's laughing. Sarah's laughing. The baby's probably laughing. Everybody in the whole camp's probably laughing. And, uh, and the son's name is Laughter. It's a, it's a joyful promise. It's, it's a fantastic story. Verse 7. She said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yep. I born him a son in his old age. The actual wording here in the Hebrew reveals that this is a song. She, you know, Sarah who laughed in unbelief in her tent is now composing a refrain of praise. She's nursing her son who's 90 years younger than herself. And what shows you is this is not like in vitro fertilization. You know, the oldest woman who's supposed to have given birth is uh, this lady Maria del Carmen Busada del Lara who is 66 and she had a kid via uh, in vitro fertilization. But the oldest woman recorded that has had a natural birth uh, or, or from natural conception was 59. I mean, here, this is not a IVF, you know, in vitro fertilization situation. This is not a surrogate mom. This is not a, even a wet nurse situation. God allows Sarah to nurse. 
He allows her to experience the complete experience of motherhood. This is grace because she did not believe. This is God's grace. It's a crazy story, man. It's been 25 years since Abraham left Ur. It hasn't been easy, but it's been good. And there's been highs and lows, and God's spoken his promise again and again and again, reminded and reiterated, and now it's happened that God keeps his promises. Even 25 years later, God keeps his promises. Why did God do this? Why did God stretch things out? Why, why did God allow her to have a kid, you know, this advanced in age? There's a bunch of reasons, I think, but let me just give three that I think God drew it out like this. Number one, I think God did this to grow Abraham and Sarah's faith because after this episode, Abraham is pretty much unshakable. You know, before this, he's so inconsistent, but after, after this, I mean, all he has to do is look back at his wife nursing his tiny baby and be like, we're good. You know, like, it, he's pretty much unshakable after this, and he's going to need to be, because y'all know what happens in the next chapter. This chapter, Isaac is born. Next chapter, God says, I want you to kill him. It's crazy. If you don't know that story, show up next week, because it's, it's a crazy story. He's going to need that unshakable faith right soon. Second reason I think God did this. I think he did it to grow our faith. Remember the statement from a couple chapters ago, is anything too hard for the Lord? That's kind of this summary sentence for me for this whole episode of Abraham and Sarah, is anything too hard for the Lord? We are supposed to read this story and believe God's promises towards us. We're supposed to remember this story. Oh, well, if he can do that, kind of the same what Abraham did. Well, if he can do that, we're good. Like, if he can do that, he keeps his promises. 1 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9. I want you to listen. I'm just going to read four promises from Scripture. He will sustain you to the end. That is a promise from Scripture. He will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Second promise, 2 Corinthians 4. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he'll also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Hebrews 13. He has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. There are a hundred more promises in scripture. God will keep them all. Why does God allow us to read these crazy stories? So to grow our faith. And the third reason I think that God allows, us to, uh, allows this story to be written like this and, and allows it to play out like this is to prep us for Jesus' birth. You think about this story. How many barren wombs have been opened in the Bible? Just a quick look, you got Sarah here, you got Rebecca, you got Rachel, you got this guy named Manoah's wife, you got Hannah, you got Elizabeth, that's six barren wombs that are opened in the scripture because Sarah becomes Isaac's mom. You remember Rebecca becomes Jacob and Esau's mom, Rachel becomes Joseph and Benjamin's mom, Manoah's wife becomes Samson's mom, Hannah becomes Samuel's mom, Elizabeth becomes John the Baptist's mom. Why? To pave the way for Jesus' birth. You think impossible births is a motif. It's a commonly recurring theme in the scripture. Why? 
is to pave the way for Jesus. And specifically, I think Isaac's birth paves the way for Jesus. Think about this. Both Sarah and Mary were promised sons ahead of time. Then both women questioned the pronouncement. How can it be? The one woman said, how can this be? I'm old. And the other one said, how can this be? I'm a virgin. And then both had impossible births. Both sons were named in advance. And it's interesting, you know, Isaac's the only patriarch that wasn't renamed because he was named by God straight up. And Isaac's story helps us to believe. It paves the way for belief in the virgin birth. The question is, do you believe in miracles like this? If you believe the Bible, you do. And we're studying Genesis. We just read about God speaking the cosmos into existence by his word. So if you believe all of that, like that, that God created the order of the universe, it's easy to believe that he can interrupt that order. It's easy. Yeah, he can, he can pause that if he wants to. The birth of Isaac is a miracle. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. So Isaac probably, the child grew, that, that gives you a span of about three years. It says Isaac, uh, Isaac's probably about three here. What about his other kid? You thought about him? Ishmael's about 16, maybe 17 here. And it's, it's going to talk about him in a, in a second. But if you realize, he's not even in the picture in this, in this first part of the scene, the first episode. We haven't heard anything about him. Remember, Abraham and Sarah, they were given this promise. And then Sarah said, you know what? I'm really old. You should get with the slave girl here. And so those two took things into their own hands and kind of made this plan B and had a kid named Ishmael. Y'all remember this story? And so they have this kid, Ishmael. <clears throat> okay, so he's fixing to come into the, to the scene. This is episode two, starting in verse nine. Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. This great party member, everybody's laughing. Verse nine, but Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, who she had born to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out the slave woman with her son for the son of this slave woman will not be heir with my son Isaac Ooh, what is going on here because they were just I mean everybody's laughing it's kind of like one of those scenes in the movie where everybody's joyful and laughing but all of a sudden there's a different kind of laugh that kind of comes into to, to focus here where this joyful laughter gives way to what seems like a mocking laughter Sarah looks over and she sees Ishmael, this 16-year-old kid, and his mom, Hagar, laughing. Now, he's not laughing with these guys. He's laughing at them. How do we know? We got Sarah's response, for one, but you also has, have this passage in Galatians. We're going to get to it in a second, but Galatians 4.29 looks back at this passage and says that Ishmael is persecuting Isaac. It's malicious. It's not just laughing like, that's crazy. Those old folks had a baby. It's malicious. So why would Sarah want these two guys out? You think about it, she's saying, get out. In this moment of laughing, in this moment of promise fulfilled, she's saying, cast out this slave woman, doesn't mention her name, with her son, doesn't mention his name, for the son of this slave woman will not be heir with my son, Isaac. All right. Why does Sarah want Ishmael and Hagar out? Let me give two reasons. Number one, think about this. Okay, this relationship between Sarah and Hagar has to be so tense. I mean, it's such a, 
you know, Sarah kind of initiated this relationship, and the, but you got to imagine there's a lot of jealousy, a lot of bitterness on both ends of things because Sarah up until this point has not had a kid, so Hagar's kind of had this upper hand. There's some mocking back and forth. There's some jealousy back and forth. you got to imagine there's jealousy on Hagar's part because ain't nobody throwing feasts for Ishmael. He's 16 here. These natural consequences of Abraham and Sarah taking things into their own hands are playing out now 16 years later, which shows us that delayed consequences don't mean no consequences. Sarah may be reacting with her own jealousy, making it clear that this kid, this unnamed kid, will have no sharing of inheritance. This verse kind of confused me for a little bit, but I read into some really nerdy areas and like, okay, so back in Abraham's day, a little bit after uh, Abraham's day. Stay up there. Uh, y'all remember, there was Hammurabi's Code. Y'all read about that in school? This law, ancient law thing called Hammurabi's Code. Uh, well, there was another code back in the day of conduct. So around Ur, they had these codes of conduct that are kind of outside the Bible. And so in these codes, this other code's called the Lipit Ishtar Code. And they give rules for daily life. Well, according to Hammurabi's Code, the son of a slave, a handmaiden, had legal claim on their father's property, all right? Well, according to this other code, the Lipit Ishtar Code, families that find themselves in this situation, the same situation that Abraham and Sarah are in, what they can do is they can give freedom to the slaves in exchange for them forfeiting their inheritance and property rights. We'll grant you your freedom, but it means no more inheritance. Maybe that's what's going on here, that Sarah wants Hagar and Ishmael to be out So she'll give them their freedom, but it means no inheritance. Maybe that's what's going on, but what Sarah's doing here is not gracious. A lot of commentators are saying, no, she's she's really in the right here. I don't think she is. I think what she's doing is not gracious at all. Second reason I think she's sending him out, she's really trying to protect Isaac. This is real persecution, Galatians tells us. She may be sensing an escalation to like a Cain and Abel brother-killing-brother situation. If the 16-year-old is already persecuting a 3-year-old, it may be escalating from here. Verse 11. So Sarah just said, cast them out. Verse 11, this thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. Can you imagine? I mean, Ishmael is 16, maybe 17 at this point, and He's lived with him all this time, and Abraham, he loves him. You remember even that Abraham had earlier suggested that God use Ishmael to fulfill the promise. Genesis 17, Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you'll call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Listen, as for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He will father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, who Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. So a year ago, back in Genesis 17, keep this, file this away in the back of your mind. A year ago, God said to Abraham, hey, don't worry about Ishmael. I'm going to make him into a great nation. He's going to father 12 princes. But he's not going to be the primary plan. You can't use Ishmael as a backup here. But that doesn't change the fact that Abraham loved him, and he's upset about sending him out. Verse 12, here's where it gets confusing. But God said to Abraham, 
Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I'll make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he's your offspring. All right, so it's encouraging that God's repeating the promise about Ishmael. But what's going on here? Like why? Sarah's request strikes us as inappropriate. So why is God going along with Sarah's request? I mean, I do think the context of this verse really is that God's comforting Abraham, which is, I mean, it's great because God cares for Ishmael too. He's comforting Abraham and he's reassuring that even though Isaac is the son of the promise, he has big plans for Ishmael's future also, that God's working everything for good, even Abraham and Sarah's mistakes. Abraham and Sarah are inconsistent, but God is consistent. God is working their mistakes for good. But why does God go along with Sarah's request? I think there's a lot of reasons, but let me give three why God might be going along with Sarah's request. Number one, I think this may be real protection for Isaac, the son of the promise. I think that Ishmael probably holds a real threat to the promised child here. Remember, God had predicted back in chapter 16 or 17 that Ishmael is going to be a wild donkey of a man. And he said that his hand is going to be against everyone and everyone's hand is going to be against him. Ishmael is going to be a problem. And it started already. And God may be preventing a future murder, at least years of conflict. So I think the first reason that God's, in a sense, in our eyes, going along with the plan, even though we know God's sovereign, he doesn't go along with man's plan, that, that it's real protection for Isaac. But number two, and I think this is the most important one, I think it's real preparation for the sacrifice of Isaac, which is coming in the next chapter. I think what Abraham, or what God's doing in sending Ishmael out, I think he's prepping Abraham for the sacrifice of Isaac. Remember back to Hebrews in the New Testament, when it's kind of given the hall of faith, it talks about Abraham and his faith, and it says this in Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Listen, he considered God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Y'all, that is faith. Talk about Abraham's faith growing in this situation. He's like, well, I'll kill him. God will raise him from the dead because he's the son of the promise. My friend Adam Vincent, he pointed out this. What this verse doesn't say is that Abraham said, well, I'll kill him. Ishmael can take his place. I got Ishmael as a backup. We're good. I got a backup plan over here. I'll go ahead and kill him, and maybe God will save him. But if he doesn't, I've got another kid here. I think that God is removing Abraham's backup plan so that his faith has to be totally in God. In addition, Abraham's being prepped to lose Isaac by losing Ishmael. And I think the third reason that God is, uh, is allowing this to happen is that this incident between Isaac and Ishmael, it becomes a huge gospel teaching in the future, in the New Testament. Galatians 4, we're gonna put this up, it's, it's about 10 verses. I'm not going to go all the way through these verses and teach them. You know, we taught through Galatians a couple years ago, and there's a sermon you can go on our website and look at it. Brody taught it. It's an excellent sermon. I just want to give you a one-minute recap after I read these verses. But this whole incident with Isaac and Ishmael and Abraham and sending him out, this becomes like this big template to bring a lot of Jews to faith in Jesus. Galatians 4, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, 
Don't you listen to the law? It's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are the two covenants, one's from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery, that's Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Er in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. It's written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh, that's Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, that's Isaac, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. That is a confusing set of verses. Let me give you the one minute flyby, all right? In the New Testament, the Jews put a lot of stock on being Abraham's children. We're good with God. We're Abraham's descendants. We're Abraham's. We belong to Abraham. But Paul is using this Old Testament story to illustrate a truth to New Testament folks. Not everybody who's from Abraham are sons of the promise. That's what he's illustrating. Let me show you. Because some people are sons of Abraham and are cast out. Ishmael. Some people are sons of the promise. And he's saying here that those who have faith in Jesus are children of promise. Those who are not while they may be related to Abraham, are children of the slave. And just like Ishmael was cast out, Paul saying those who reject faith in Jesus and put faith in works, they're also cast out. This illustration would click, maybe not for our minds, but for a Jewish mind who so prided themselves in their heritage, they would see, oh, those who have faith like Abraham are true sons? That would click for them. I think that's the third reason that God allows this to happen. See, Sarah wanted Hagar and Ishmael out for immediate reasons, inheritance and protection. But God is back in this plan for more distant reasons, which are lineage and nations and promises. It's immediate and eventual grace. Because the immediate grace is two boys living in the same household, two wives both competing for the same love, potentially for the promise. Now they're free to live out their own destinies. Kent Hughes says this, specific graces had fallen, The separation left Isaac free to pursue the promise of the land and his call to a special relationship with God, a necessary grace. And God's protecting hand rested on Ishmael from then on as he pursued a life separate and distinct from the patriarchs, a grace also. And there was grace on Abraham's soul as God was preparing him for an ultimate act of faith when he'd offer up Isaac on Mount Moriah. And his sovereignty and his God's plan on the nations. But it's still a hard story, right? It's still like, not like a ride off into the sunset because what about Hagar and Ishmael as they're cast out? We're gonna see, all right? All right, we're gonna go faster. Verse 14, so Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. So Abraham goes out with Hagar, sends him away. It is super sad for Abraham but it's sadder for Hagar. Remember, she was heard by God. But here she's cast out, but she's not cast out from God. It's God who is authoring these plans for larger purposes. When the water in the skin was gone, verse 15, she put the child under one of the bushes. 
Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. As she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. This is a heartbreaking scene. She's, she's going to try not to listen to her son thirst to death. You think about for Hagar, she's just been following orders here. She's just been going along with the, with the plan. She can't bear to watch the end. It's a desperate scene, but pause for a second. Let's feel the weight of the scene, but it doesn't have to be this desperate. You think about it. What was Hagar told about her son? He's a son of promise. I will surely multiply your offspring so they can't be numbered for multitude. Think about the possible outcome if Hagar had believed God's promise. He's not going to die. It's impossible for him to die. Pause to think. Abraham knew this promise. He just heard it. He's going to father 12 princes. Think about the encouraging. He's in the best position to teach Hagar about how God keeps his promises. Just look back in my tent. God's going to keep his promise. You know what he just told me? There could be hope instead of despair here. And I think the application for us is how much anxiety do we unnecessarily bear because we don't rest on God's promises? Think about this. Ah, my son's dying under the... And when we initially read it, we're like, this is heartless. And you think, no, he's... It's impossible for that kid to die. He's under the promises of God. God heard the voice of the boy, verse 17, and the angel angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand. I will make him into a great nation. There was a similar scene like this. Remember, when she got pregnant, Sarah got mad at her and ran her out of the house. And remember, she, she was visited by an angel from the Lord. Remember that? And she called the Lord. She was like, you are the God that sees. Even the name Ishmael means God hears. And here's just grace on grace. He doesn't give her a speech about, hey, you should have believed my promise. He just reiterates it. All throughout this story, it's grace on grace on grace on inconsistencies. God is consistent. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. God hasn't forgotten Hagar. He, he provides for the future, He's going to have offspring, and now he's providing for the immediate. He's going to, here's some water. He's going to learn how to hunt for both of you. She, Ishmael's going to provide food for Hagar, and Hagar provides a wife for him. God has not forgotten. He doesn't overlook the downtrodden. This is his plan for this little family. It's a hard plan, but eventually it's a good plan. This is grace on Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. They're free to pursue the future of the promise. This is grace on Hagar and Ishmael. It's hard at first, but it's sweet at the end. Now, it's not going to all be sweet, because remember, he's a wild donkey of a man, this Ishmael. I don't know what that means exactly, but his hand's going to be against everybody, and everybody's hand's going to be against him. You see some foreshadowing here, because he lives outside of Israel, you know, their traditional land, and he marries a girl from Egypt. They're kinda, there's a hint of possible future conflict as they kind of drift away geographically and culturally. Episode three. We can go through this quick. Verse 22. At that time, Abimelech, remember him? Oh, Abimelech. Abimelech, he did the right thing. Well, God stopped him. 
At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God's with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you've sojourned. And Abraham said, I swear. Who's Abimelech? He's the king of Gerar, which is a Philistine city. Now, who is Abraham to Abimelech? He's a possible threat. You remember, Abraham has already gone to war once with over 300 soldiers, and his army's only grown since then. Abimelech wants peace. He demonstrated this when he sent Abraham out from his house. This is God's grace on the situation. Remember, he could have killed Abraham for the Abraham and Sarah situation. He sent him out with, what did it say, a thousand pieces of silver? It's crazy. The, the huge bride price. I mean, so Abimelech, he wants peace, not war. And Abraham wants that too. But it's kind of funny because Abimelech wants an official agreement because Abraham has been less than honest in the past, right, about the whole who's your wife thing. Uh, and so they're going to they're gonna put it on paper, you know, just for old time's sake. But Abraham has a situation he's going to bring up first. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I don't know who has done that thing. You didn't tell me and I hadn't heard about it until today. Basically, they're going to enter into an agreement. Hey, man, you're not going to make war on us. We're not going to make war on you. And Abraham says, that sounds great. There's an issue. You guys, y'all have taken over this well. Some commentators think Abimelech's like, Psh, I haven't heard anything about that. You're in the wrong. I think that Abimelech's making things right because there's a covenant right afterwards. They are just, it's God's grace. Making a covenant with this powerful nation beside them. It's God's grace on an inconsistent man. Verse 27, so Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, what's the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you set apart? And he said, these seven ewe lambs you'll take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me because I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. They made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Pause for a second. This relationship could have been absolute tragedy for everybody involved. You get mixed up with this barbaric king of the Philistines and his love life and money. This could have been absolute tragedy. But man, how the story ends is God's grace again. God's grace. It is beauty from ashes. It is grace out of mistakes. That is our God. That's what he does. That is who he is. We're going to see Abimelech again with Isaac. Verse 33, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. The story ends in a really fitting way, worshiping the true one everlasting God. I want to go through four lessons real quick and we're done. Why did God give the book of Genesis? Remember in the very intro we talked about this. It is history, but it's not just that, it's theology. It is a story told to teach us about the nature of God. That's what this is. I think what we learn here is even when situations are bleak, even in our failures, God sees, God hears. He's working things for good and he keeps his promises. So let me give you four really quick lessons that were a blessing to me when I studied this. Number one, God doesn't necessarily outline all of his plans to us, but we can trust him. 
God doesn't necessarily outline all of his plans to us, but we can trust him. Think about this. God didn't outline to Abraham everything he was doing in this situation. He could have, but he didn't. He didn't say, Abraham, hey, I need to do this with Ishmael because, you know, I'm going to ask you something really big in the future. You know, this is going to be a big gospel thing back in 2022. It's going to be a big thing. You know, God gives Abraham just enough to trust him. And if Abraham looks back later in life, he can see God's faithful hand. God keeps his promises with Isaac. God keeps his promises with Ishmael. God preps Abraham for future trials. God's working through Abraham's mistakes to provide this protection instead of destruction with Abimelech. God doesn't necessarily outline all of his plans to us, but we can trust him. Lesson two, God may choose to strip away obstacles to our faith. He took away Abraham's backup plan. Think about it. He, he may choose to strip away obstacles to our faith in order to grow and solidify our faith. He did this with Abraham. And how often has God taken away our backup plan by draining our finances or touching our health? God is more interested in our faith than our comfort. Number three, this one's really simple, but it's true. God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. We see this several times in this one story. Think about every facet of these stories. Every character in these stories is unsteady. They're moving, they're falling, they're shifting. Every character, every situation is unsteady except the promises of God. They are stone. They're solid. God keeps his promises. And the last lesson, and I, I needed to hear this one this week. God has grace on our unbelief and failures. God has grace. You, you look at this story and think, man, if Abraham doubted after he physically shared a meal with God, like, how am I supposed to have faith? My faith is so weak. But man, God has built his grace into every tiny space in this story. Grace on Abraham. Grace on Abimelech. Grace on Sarah, grace on Isaac, grace on Ishmael, grace on Hagar. Despite their inconsistency, despite their weakness, despite their backup plans, despite their unbelief. And praise God for his grace. We desperately need it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this story. I thank you for revealing yourself to us in this story. I thank you for revealing your grace to us in this story. I thank you for doing things this way so that we learn these lessons about who you are and how you act in the world. God, I pray for more faith and more consistency. I pray that through your spirit that lives inside of us, I pray that we would mirror your consistent nature. God, I pray that we believe your promises. We love you, Jesus. I want to worship you for who you are. In your name we pray, amen.